Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with my special guest. His name is Keith Carlson. Keith is a registered nurse. He's a board-certified nurse coach. He's the host of the Nurse Keith Show, which is a podcast. He's a career coach, a speaker, and writer. In this episode, Keith and I talk about his story, about his career in nursing and how it's led him to where he is today, and ultimately how we in healthcare can kind of step out of our comfort zones, increase our self-awareness, and create happy and healthy careers in healthcare. There's a lot in this episode that you don't want to miss that you'll take value from, so grab your drink of choice and join us. Hi, Keith. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. Thanks for all the work you're doing in healthcare right now. I I was reading through your bio, and I mean, you've been a nurse for 25 years and counting. You're a writer, you're a podcaster, top podcaster. Uh, there's just nothing you haven't done, it seems. You're a coach. Can you take us back to when you decided to pursue a career in nursing and how it's evolved to where you are today? Hmm. Okay. How did I decide to become a nurse? Well, I had been pretty much floundering through my 20s. I was an art school dropout. I dropped out of two art schools, not just one, but two. (laughs) And I was the father of a young stepson raising a child. And I was a massage therapist as a yoga teacher. I cleaned houses. I did all sorts of things. I started working with the developmentally disabled and with the elderly as a personal care attendant, you know, kind of home healthy kind of stuff. And I, on one hand, I realized that I needed to set an example for my young son and have some sort of stable professional career. And then on the other hand, I also wanted to have a stable professional career for myself. 
So there were several nurses in the family on my dad's side. And so there was some inspiration there, having had nurses in the in the mix growing up as a child. And it just kind of made sense at that point. And I got to know and had met other nurses along the way. And it became the preeminent thing that seemed like the best choice for me at the time. And obviously it was because I'm still doing it. It's been a quarter century. Wow. So I was going to ask, are you still practicing clinically? Not a whole lot. I I really stopped about six years ago or so when I went full-time as a self-employed nurse entrepreneur. But during the course of the pandemic, I've been back in doing vaccinations and COVID testing with the Department of Health uh, through a temp agency here in New Mexico. So yeah, I took some time off doing clinical work and now I've been doing, I mean, I'm not like working in a COVID ICU or something, but I've been trying to make my own contributions to the effort in the way that feels right to me. I love that. And I appreciate that so much. We're seeing that a lot in uh, nurses who've been retired, let's say, um, coming back and contributing and however they can. That still aligns with you, right? And, you know, um, your own life as it is right now. Okay, so take me through how that led to where you are today, because you've evolved so much. And you owe it to your career in nursing in a way. I do. To- I owe all of it to my career in nursing. Yeah. I don't know if anything I do now would have happened if I was in another industry, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, possibly I may have ended up writing, but I don't know about all the other things I do. So in 2005, back in the days when blogs were relatively new and they were very new in nursing and pretty new in healthcare, uh, I was sitting around with my brother one snowy night in Amherst, Massachusetts. And he looked at me and said, Hey Keith, there are these new things called blogs. What why don't you try one? Because you're you're a good writer. And I was like, no, okay. And it took a number of months for it to really coalesce into being about my career as a nurse. But it, it did start to gain traction fairly quickly when I started writing about nursing. And that blog that launched in January of 2005 is still going today. So it just had its 17th anniversary. And it's one of the or the longest running nursing blog on the internet now. That's super inspiring. Uh, and, that, and that sort of just started the whole thing was blogging. What's the name of the blog, Keith? It's called Digital Doorway. And it had nothing to do with anything specific when I first started. But again, it it sharpened into nursing pretty quickly. But at first it was just like, oh, what's this thing that people are doing now? You know, yeah. it's just kind of checking it out. Very cool. And so did you know at the time you had a passion for writing as well? Like, was that something that you had ever had in the back of your mind that you wanted to do um, at some point? Yeah, I'd always liked writing. And I'd always been a good writer. I'd never written for money. And I'd never written publicly. But it came pretty naturally. So it, it made a lot of sense. It was a pretty good fit. And it was fun from the start. So that's where I just kind of went with it. Yeah. So that was back in 2005. Yeah. And then when did your podcasting start and your coaching start? Podcasting started in 2012. I met some really nice nurses who were interested in podcasting in 2011. We met on Twitter. And 
we were like, oh, there's this thing called podcasting. It's kind of like when I launched my blog. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, why don't we check it out? Maybe we could launch one together. So we did. And that was called RNFM Radio. And it was one of the first nursing podcasts on the internet. And that ran for like 260 episodes with a yeah, with a revolving roster of co-hosts. I was the one co-host that was consistent through the whole thing, but we had a few different configurations. And my show spun off of that show a couple years later. And the coaching started right around 2011, 2012 as well. So that was just kind of getting off the ground at that time. So what kind of led you to coaching? Because that's kind of an area that I find a lot of healthcare providers are again contributing in some way to other healthcare providers right now. What I want to go back to as well is what I've found in my own guest interviews is that a lot of people rediscover or create something new out of burnout, I guess you could say out of an inner conflict. Did you along the way at any point have that experience? Like, I'm sure you've had, you know, um, degrees of burnout and stress and overwhelm, you know, being a nurse, but Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It was around 2008 or so when I really burned out in my job as a nurse working in um, Western Massachusetts with um, very uh, complex socioeconomically challenged patients in the community in the inner city in Springfield, Massachusetts. And that was a really rough period, even though it was great work and I worked with great people out of a federally qualified community health center, but I really burned out. And my wife at the time was like, this job is killing you and you have to quit. So she basically dragged me out of that job by the scruff of my neck, bless her heart. And that landed me in a public health job, which was much less stressful. And that was around the time that coaching entered my consciousness. And that was also the influence of my my then wife, who was always checking out, like, what's new? Like, what's cool? What's happening? Mm-hmm. And coaching came up and I did some courses and that became something that seemed like it had some traction. And again, like just with the blogging and the coaching and the podcasting, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time when these three things were all kind of getting off the ground and moving into a popular space. And I always say, and I mean it, that it's not that I'm especially prescient or smart. I just happen to know a lot of people and just um, often find myself in places where I learn about things that are really interesting. I love how you brought that up because one of the things I read on your website is how you openly stated that you don't see yourself as a special individual with all of the answers. And I was going to ask you, like, because I find, especially early on in healthcare, when you're starting to practice, is that sometimes you're ma- you're kind of made or conditioned to feel like you're supposed to have all of the answers. So I, I thought that that was comforting for me to read um, and reassuring for me to read. So was there ever a time, though, where you felt like you had to have all of the answers for people or for patients even in your path? Um I think in that job where I burned out really badly, I felt like I needed to have all the answers. I had patients, you know, I wasn't just managing their HIV and their hep C and their mental health issues and everything else. I was also trying to help them figure out like how to hold on to their apartment because they were about to lose their lease and 
how to resolve conflict with their cousin because it was causing them undue stress. And, you know, it, was, it, it, it just, that was a period where I just felt like I needed to solve everything for everyone. And when you want to solve everything for everyone, you end up solving nothing for no one pretty much. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much how it came together or, or actually came apart at the time. Not that I wasn't doing a good job, but you really can't do your best when you're under duress and you're feel like you're banging your head against a wall all day, every day. Yeah. And I love how um, your partner at the time identified that. And I, I see that commonly too. It's, it's like your it's like someone's partner or family member is kind of like, Hey, you got to put the brakes on or switch gears, right? When you're in it, I don't know if you can see it so clearly other than sometimes recognizing that, you know, you're just not satisfied, I guess, or fulfilled. So that's right. Yeah. And my, my current partner, I don't think she would let me get away with anything like that either. So I think she'll keep me on my toes when I start to seem like I'm spinning out a little bit. (laughs) She can bring me back. (laughs) Yeah. We all need someone in our corner for that. (laughs) Even though the news isn't always easy to hear, but it's, uh, it's for our own well being too. (laughs) So you mentioned that you know a lot, like you kind of owed your circumstances to knowing people, to networking. And that is something you do talk about as well quite a bit. And I'm an introvert. <laughs> so for me, it's hard to network. I'm going to be you know, open and honest in saying that. And I don't know if, if in your coaching, you've come across healthcare providers who are introverted by nature, who find it difficult to network. So do you have any, like, do you, do you find that introversion is a common thing among your clients? And do you have any steps or suggestions for people to kind of step out of that, um, I guess, insecurity or that comfort zone in a way too? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of introversion. I toggle between the two. I call myself an ambivert. So I, I am introverted, but I'm also capable of extroversion. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to career and it comes to networking, I just kind of, I mean, I do teach people how to do it and mm-hmm. I give them strategies and hints. And for myself, I just sort of do it because I know how important it is. And I've seen the the magic and serendipity that can result when one really digs deep and takes part in networking. So it's a matter of managing relationships and managing your own time and energy so that it's not like a just a time suck mm-hmm. but that you're building quality relationships so for instance i can go to a conference and i'm in a room of 500 people and if i'm in the right space the right headspace i can work that room pretty well but i generally set the bar pretty low like i'm not going to try to meet everybody right uh, what i do is i think okay i want to meet i want to make two really good connections today I'll set a pretty low bar and I'll think, okay, who are those people? And I'll follow my intuition and the winds of serendipity to get me to who are those two people I'm going to meet today. And it means taking some risks, right? And when I talk with people about networking online, I always say it's sort of a an introvert an introverted networker's best friend is the online world because there's not as much face-to-face and you can avoid face-to-face completely if you want to. You can do phone and email and stuff like that. And 
it's lower risk. There's lower stakes when you're just reaching out to somebody on Twitter or LinkedIn or something just to say hi and ask them if they want to connect. So it's it's a matter of knowing where your comfort zone is, figuring out how far you're willing to push yourself past your comfort zone, and also setting strategic goals for your networking. It's not like, I'm going to meet some people, you know, because that can feel overwhelming. But if you're like, I want to meet, if, if you're doing it from home, like you're not at a conference, you can say, I want to connect with one interesting person every week somewhere. You know, that's, that's fairly doable. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you're going to like become, you know, blood brothers or something. It just means you're going to, you know, chat with somebody and make a connection. But the introversion's a thing. And a lot of healthcare providers, especially those who want to start businesses, say, oh, I don't do social media. And I say, well, you better think twice about that at this <laughs> juncture if you want to be an entrepreneur. Oh, wow. Yeah. For me, I know in doing this show and keeping it going, my introversion can sometimes talk me out of it, to be honest with you. Um, so in a way, it's a skill that I keep building by doing the show. And um, I tell myself that as well. And even just in terms of outreach and connecting with potential guests, like you said, I love how you put that in terms of setting a realistic goal. You know, I'll just tell myself to, to reach out to one person a week or to respond to one person a week um, to set something up so as to maintain and manage my own energy. Because working full time is, as you know, it's, <laughs> I don't need to explain it to you, but, yeah. um, but that does take up some of my energy as well. So. But what I find is I'm drawn to the purpose more than anything. And, um, and that's what keeps me, keeps me going and moving forward and finding strategies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in terms of starting something new, so in terms of creating a career in healthcare where someone can feel fulfilled, how do people know when it's time to kind of expand a little bit from, for example, a direct care approach. So like, do people come to you or what is kind of the nature of your coaching clients? Do they come to you conflicted by that? Or do they come to you for more stress relief? What are you noticing, especially nowadays? People come to me for many things. They come to me because they're burnt out or stressed and they feel unhappy or at least dissatisfied, if not absolutely unhappy or miserable. And they know they need something, they need a shift or change, they need something to move, but they're not quite sure what it is or how to make it happen. Sometimes people have specific goals, like I want to become an advanced practice nurse, but I don't quite know what to do to really make that happen. Or they come to me in the midst of school or finishing school because they, they're like, oh, I'm going to have this new degree and credential, and now what do I do? Right. And then I also get people who are mid-career and they just feel like, They've just kind of lost their mojo. And that's similar to the people who feel like they need some sort of shift. And then there might be people who want to start a side hustle or a business, or they're not even in healthcare yet. They're just dipping their toe in the potential to maybe go to nursing school or maybe become a physiotherapist or a doctor or something. And they just want to say like, I'm thinking about this, but I don't really know if it's right. And they need a little guidance. So there's people come to me for many, many different reasons. Oh, wow. And are you noticing any change or any increase in people who are burned out who might be in the direct care space that come to you? A relative increase. It's not yeah. like 
astronomical or exponentially more than it was before the pandemic, but there's an undercurrent of angst, let's say that. Mm -hmm. And even if it's not burnout, and there is a fair amount of that that I encounter, it, it is at least the sense that either they're reprioritizing their life because the pandemic and the existential angst of the pandemic made them think, huh, I want to actually be around for my kids when they get home from school. How do I make that happen? Mm -hmm. Or it's more like, oh, I've watched so many people die. I just want to be happier because I deserve to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes mm -hmm. it's just things like that. People just realize their priorities have changed. And the pandemic has been a, a backdrop upon which people can paint a new future in a sense. Yeah, I think that's the silver lining of it. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but in a way, it's yeah. Um, yeah. In a way, I think it's good that we are evaluating finally, kind of where our energy is, and because um, I, I think even pre-pandemic, not many of us realized that we weren't around our families and loved ones enough. So I don't know. It could be a silver lining, but I don't want to minimize it or anything by any means. But um, I think it does allow us to contemplate a little bit and uh, reach out too. And I think that's a big thing for healthcare providers is having that courage to reach out. And so I think when you're pushed to that point of, you know, not knowing anymore where to go, what to do, they can come to you or to, to a coach they trust who can guide them right. pretty much. Yeah. 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 So when you look at the landscape of healthcare today, from mm -hmm. your lens, from your many different lenses, what concerns you and what inspires you? Hmm. Well, what concerns me is that here in the United States, at least, I don't know about Canada, I'm not sure, mm -hmm. public health has been woefully underfunded. It's been like the poor stepchild of healthcare for decades. And even though public health has come to the fore and we've realized, wow, it's actually kind of important, I don't really trust personally that we have the will here in the United States to continue to fund public health the way it should be funded in anticipation of the next crisis or emergency, or even just the ongoing many crises that we face in public health all the time. Right. That's one concern. The other is that vis-a-vis -vis public health nursing students and medical students and others aren't pointed in directions like public health because they're not the sexy things that people love, like the adrenaline-fueled ER and uh, mm. flight nursing and um, critical care and ICU. You know, everybody and their mother seems to want to be an ICU or ER nurse and not to cast dispersions on them. We need them. Mm -hmm. However, we need people to do a lot of other things. And I think our educational systems don't necessarily groom people to see that there's life outside either those adrenaline-fueled specialties in acute care or just that there are other things one can do outside of acute care and the hospital at all. Mm -hmm. People just don't realize it. So that's that's a concern that the lessons we've learned will be very quickly forgotten. The other is that here in the U.S. especially, which I can speak to more you know, cogently, right. is that 
people are fleeing the nursing profession as much as they're coming into the nursing profession. And we have an ongoing shortage and we have an ongoing shortage of faculty and people feel like they can't become faculty because they're just not paid enough so they can earn more as clinicians. So if we want to stem the tide of dwindling workforce, but we're not willing to pony up the money to pay people well to teach and to be clinical instructors, then we're we're really missing a big opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I also just see that there are a lot of unhappy people out there. And like I mentioned a few minutes ago, they don't realize there are other options and they feel like they're stuck. And mm-hmm. again, I feel like nursing education here doesn't teach them much beyond, you know, what you can do in the hospital. And that's very unfortunate. Have you ever um, spoken at that level or have ever done any type of educational or organizational training for, let's say, hospitals or for schools and universities on what is out there just to Mm. better acquaint them or offer that? Schools don't ask for that because they tend to not hire outside speakers because okay. they're paying their faculty. I've I've been a guest of a few professors of nursing who were friends mm-hmm. who brought me in by Zoom just to talk with their their classes and that was on a very small intimate personal scale, okay. not the organizational scale that would be really awesome. I think the schools know all these things, they just Again, they don't have the will to do it for various reasons we could spend a couple hours talking about. In terms of organizations, I don't think organizations have much will to teach their nurses about what else is possible because they want them to stay where they are. So why would they tell them about what you could do outside the hospital? Because they have the... They don't want to lose who they have, so they don't have any vested interest at all. Right. Uh, wow. I mean, it's a shame because yeah. the community partnership would be key, right? Like hospitals connecting with communities, but yeah. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. It'd be great. Um, yeah. But hopefully somebody listens <laughs> to the podcast. Someday. Yeah. Someday. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, it's puzzling. But the things I'm hopeful about is one, I see some really awesome younger nurses coming into the profession or who are already in it a few years, millennials and then Gen Zers, who I think are super cool. Mm-hmm. And they're they tend to be, from my perspective, quite sophisticated. And they also understand themselves in a way I never understood myself at that age. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's part of the sophistication emotionally and culturally and societally and spiritually, even if you will. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of hope in that particular generation or those two generations. I think there's some pretty amazing young leaders out there who are just starting to take the reins. And if you think about it, you know, there are, millennial politicians who are just sort of gaining more levers of power. And pretty soon, within not that many years, I think, we'll have an older millennial who ends up as president of the United States, for instance. That's inevitable. Yeah. So that generation is slowly, they're, they're in Congress now here in the States, and they will slowly gain more power. They'll eventually be on the Supreme Court, things like that. And they'll eventually be CNOs and COOs and 
CFOs of hospital systems. So they're getting there. Mm -hmm. And I'm encouraged by that too. Mm-hmm. And I'm also encouraged by the fact that more and more nurses and healthcare providers are seeing that there are alternatives, that it is possible to have a business or it is possible to be a consultant. And darn it, it's really okay to want to take care of oneself. And I think that's another generational shift. Mm-hmm. And that- every, everything you define there about, especially millennials, everything you defined about them is kind of reflective in what we're not seeing in our own healthcare system. and you know, everything you described when you were going through your burnout in 2008 is what I can relate to today. You know, I work in a publicly funded hospital, right? So here in Ontario, Canada, uh, we have OHIP funding. So um, you see all of those determinants of health, the spiritual side, the the, um, the social side, especially, like it's just, and for you to to speak of millennials who have come into your path, who have kind of have a better self-understanding and self-awareness, I think is really powerful. And hopefully they can guide others um, along the way and in different creative ways too. They're using their voices more, I find. I've had a couple of students recently who have gone into different fields. I've had one express that they have an interest in long COVID not knowing where that's going to come from yet, maybe from a research perspective, not even from a direct care perspective, right? Something completely different than, you know, the practice itself in a way. So I, I totally love that that critical thinking that I'm seeing from the younger generation. I think I um, do too. I think yeah, that help. is encouraging. It is totally, totally. Mm-hmm. So what would you say right now to healthcare providers out there who were where you were in 2008? Who are feeling conflicted? Uh, what are what's your what are your pieces of advice for them in terms of getting through this feeling of feeling stuck or maybe losing a sense of self? Well, one thing is to try to keep your finger on the pulse of what you actually want in your life, and not just what people tell you you should do or should want. I think that's very common. But we really need to stay in tune with what we really need. You know, if you're, you you need to look at your life in a holistic way. You can't look through one single lens. You look at your children, if you happen to have some, or your elderly parents, or your social circles. You look at your financial circumstance your spiritual well-being, you know, where you're at emotionally and and in your your development so to speak and take everything into consideration. So just because everyone told you that you should work in acute care doesn't mean that you have to sacrifice your family on the yoke of your career because that's what you think you're supposed to do or should do. Maybe you're actually called to do that and then you'll figure it out. But Maybe you're not called to do that, but you're doing it because it feels like a should. And I always say, you know, don't let people should all over you because, you know, people will will use that word over and over again. You should do this. You should. And, and it can be very confusing. And that doesn't just happen to someone who's 18 with everyone telling them what they should do. It happens at any age. You know, I'm almost 60. It happens to me, too. So I think we need to be in tune and in touch with our values and what our motivators are, like what really drives us. 
And if we're not in touch with that, then we have to figure it out. And there's plenty of ways to do that. Therapy, coaching, I mean, there's lots of different approaches to figuring out what makes you tick. And if you're not aware of what makes you tick, it would behoove you to find out. Mm -hmm. And if you've been going on autopilot for a long time, you, you have to turn the autopilot off. What if and people, that can be pretty scary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I was going to say is that what if people express a fear there and what they'll discover? Have you ever had resistance in that way or someone just saying, you know, I'm not sure about what I'm going to discover if I really tap into, you know, the motivators and into my values and sure. whether I'm aligned or not? Because it is a bit of a scary process when you think about it. It is, but, you know. Sometimes you got to open the box to clear out the cobwebs and shadows, right? Yeah, totally. And you got to see what's in it. And there's this sense that, you know, the unknown is scary. And of course it's scary. And if we don't know ourselves really well, that's super scary. Mm -hmm. But if we truly want to grow as human beings and or professionals or parents or whatever we happen to be, the roles we fulfill in our lives then there are risks we have to take. And learning more about yourself and figuring out who you really are is one of the greatest risks you can take in terms of, I mean, great, meaning like go for it. Because mm -hmm. the risk of not knowing yourself is much higher because that can negatively impact your ability to be happy or your ability to do your job well or to be a good parent, and or to be a good citizen. I mean, any any of the above, really. And many people, like I said a little bit ago, to use the same metaphor, have sacrificed either their home, their relationships, their families, their health on the yoke of work. And I feel like those days are over, or they should be over. And we have to make a very conscious choice that we're not going to sacrifice those things for work. And that's an old Puritan work ethic from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And that doesn't, it doesn't fly anymore. I, I mean, you can, you're welcome to do it, but it doesn't work very well in this very complex world we live in. Yeah. You, you said that beautifully, actually. Um, it's, it's just not so simple anymore in that context. My sister has been practicing in education for over 30 years now, and it it blows me away. <laughs> like, I'm just like, you don't hear about this, like people sustaining the same profession or even in the same environment for so long anymore, because it's so complex. And I just find it super fascinating in a way that by ignoring ourselves, and we think that we're in a way serving others and doing that. But eventually, like you said, we're, we're actually sacrificing those relationships in a way that, that means so much to us, but we don't see it because we think we're contributing through our work, um, whether yeah. it's financial or, or whatnot. So, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and we, here in the States, at least, I mean, people have this generation's deep sense that our work defines us. And that's how we describe it. And if you meet someone at a party, you ask them, what do you do? You know, mm -hmm. I tend to try to not ask people that question. Not that I, I mean, I haven't been to a party in years, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe there'll be some more someday soon. We'll have parties if I choose to go. Right. But, you know, it's this you can ask somebody, you know, what do you love or what do you love to do? 
Like not like, what do you do? Because that just belies the fact again, that we, we can often focus on our work to define everything it is about us, you know, and that's not necessarily healthy thing. No. And like you said, I think we're recognizing that now, which I think is the important part of all of this, all of this challenge and struggle that everyone's going through is I hope that we can come out of this getting a gaining a greater understanding of self uh, more than anything. So Keith, where can people connect with you if they want to listen to your show, if they again want to read your blog, if they want to be coached by you or reach out to you for resources or anything like that? Yeah, nursekeith.com is the best place. They can find everything there. The blog actually lives over on Blogspot, which is part of Blogger. Long story why it still lives there, but there are links on my website. But the show notes for my podcast are there. And then my podcast, you can find the Nurse Keith show pretty easily. And I'm on social media too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your story and just your contribution to healthcare. Thank you so Thanks, much. Jennifer. Thanks, Jennifer. It's really an honor. Thanks having, for having me. Thanks for being here. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes. And you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jennifergeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.